Hey, Pioneers, welcome to episode number 355. Today's episode, we are going to be diving into talking about the skill sets that one should acquire for modern homesteading, and really not even just modern homesteading, but life skills in general. This may end up becoming a multiple part series. We'll have to see how it goes. But how this episode and topic came to be is if you sign up for my email newsletter, then you're very familiar with I send out a series of welcome emails to you where we dive into discussing homesteading and finding out what areas you need help in so that I can direct you to the resources I've got on my website to get you closer to your homesteading goals. And one of the things that I recommend that people do to be successful long term at homesteading is to be a collector of skill sets. And I had quite a few people email back and ask, well, what are the skill sets that you recommend starting with? And this is a little bit hard to answer. Hence, we're going to have a podcast episode on it and perhaps even do a series because it really depends on your starting point and what your goals are. And that is going to vary a little bit or sometimes a lot for each individual person. But before we even dive into that, I think it's really important that we talk about the subject. One of the things I've also gotten is people commenting and asking for help saying homesteading seems so expensive. Like I I just I can't homestead because it takes so much money and one that is a bit of a fallacy. Now, to be fair, there are some aspects of homesteading that are going, going to require upfront money. Most of the time, you're not going to be able to get livestock, especially larger livestock like cattle, pigs, etc. You're not going to be able to get them for free. And they do cost more than, say, a baby chick or even a goat. In my experience, the, the larger the animal so pork, definitely cattle, et cetera, you're going to pay more for those animals than you are one chicken versus one cow. However, the return on them is also a lot greater. I'm going to get a lot larger harvest and or make more money if that's an animal that I'm selling down the road, I'm selling the meat or even the animal itself, et cetera, if it's breeding stock, than I ever would from one chicken. So you have to kind of keep that in context. but. Yes, if you are looking at doing larger livestock, there is going to be some infrastructure that you have to put in as far as fences, possibly some shelters, depending on the climate that you live in and what your landscape has to offer. So there are upfront costs like that, and that can be a chunk of money. However, I feel like with the internet, which is good and bad, right? I think there's wonderful things about the internet and there's bad things about the internet. And that's to be said really for anything. But with the internet, I think a lot of people see, especially YouTube videos, maybe even social media, such as Instagram and, and Facebook, where, wherever you're at, consuming media. And oftentimes you are seeing homesteads, myself, my homestead included in this, that are well-established, meaning we have been homesteading for over 20 years. So we didn't start out at this level. When we started homesteading, 
we didn't have any money. We were renting a 1974 single wide trailer. We had no land, no livestock. I mean, we started out at the very, very beginning. Uh, my husband and I both worked day jobs. Oftentimes I was working two day jobs. Um, he would do side things. And we put in a garden the first year we were renting. And so we had to ask for permission and we were able to put in a vegetable garden, but we didn't have any money to put in a vegetable garden. We could afford the seeds. So we bought garden seed and we borrowed a rototiller in order to just till up the grass. We did absolutely no amendments. So there was no soil testing. There was no putting in compost. I didn't really even know anything about compost at that time. There was no fertilizing. There was no manure tea. There was none of that. There was no structure. We weren't doing vertical. We literally just had this dirt that was lawn that was tilled up with a rototiller and we planted all of our our garden in it that year and we did get a harvest. Now, depending upon the fertility and the type of soil you have, that may or may not be your case. There are some, you know, really poor compacted soils that that might not return a yield. But that is how we got started. And I borrowed my mom's pressure canner that first year to pressure can up the green beans that we raised to feed us and take us through that year. But I didn't even have my own pressure canner. I didn't have money for a pressure canner, but I borrowed somebody's and learned how to do it. This was before internet. We didn't even have it. Yeah, I'm sounding that ancient. I shouldn't say it's before internet. We didn't have internet at that time. <laughs> it was back way back in the dial up days. We were talking, I got married in 1999. And, and rule it, rule at that. So I don't even know if there was dial up internet in 1999 where we lived. I think it was a few years later. So the reason that I'm saying that is because that, that was our starting point. And if you look at what we have now, it's 20 some years later. But the reason that I'm sharing this is because you can start with one small thing and then the savings that that brings you not buying vegetables that we were able to harvest that year from that vegetable garden that did save us money and then not buying green beans throughout the year vegetables we bought other vegetables but not those specific vegetables because i had canned them so anytime that you are doing something for yourself producing something yourself you want to take what you would have spent on that elsewhere and then you need to earmark that money. You need to keep track of the money that you saved, even though you may not have actually spent it. So we would save that money and it, maybe it goes to paying off bills at first. Everybody's finances are different. And I've actually done multiple episodes on that and we can link to some of them in the show notes for today's episode. But we took that money and we put it into savings and we set it aside. And so every time, if you start to make bread at home, compared to what you were paying for it at the store. In my personal experience, if I make it at home myself, it has always proved to have been cheaper than buying the same thing from the counterpart from the store. Now, not buying the cheapest Wonder Bread. Is that still a bread? I don't even know. I haven't bought bread in so long. Is Wonder Bread still a thing? Back in the day, Wonder Bread was pretty cheap. So instead of comparing buying the cheapest bread there is, if you are buying you know, good flour, doesn't have the preservatives, et cetera, in it and baking that bread, you would need to do your apples to apples comparison. So the way I, I can't even find sourdough bread, the way that I bake sourdough bread, true sourdough bread. I can't even find that at local stores near us. But if I go and look at brands that don't have high fructose corn syrup in them, don't have 
extra added gluten. I mean, you know, all of those different uh, preservatives and dough conditioners, just a nice, good, organic, basic bread. One loaf of that is right now is about $5.99. I can 100% buy the ingredients and make that bread cheaper than I can buy it. But when I do that, I need to take the money difference, right? And it's going to be how, you know, if you're buying in larger bulk, what what you're buying ingredient wise as to how much cheaper it's going to be. And that can even vary by location. But calculating out what is that difference and then putting what that money difference is, as I said, putting it aside and saving up for the next investment, be it a piece of kitchen equipment. Maybe it is buying your own pressure canner. Uh, Maybe it is saving up for fencing or land or saving up for a milk cow or a steer, a beef cow, you know, whatever it may be. But that that is how we went from where we were without having really anything fund wise or of our own. As I said, we were renting and then being able to save up enough to put a down payment on and buy property and slowly invest in things like a pressure canner. We did that way before we ever had property, but those little things. And so I feel like it's what I assume is like home economics 101, but I don't think that it's be, that's being taught. And if you didn't see that modeled, if your family didn't already do that, it's not something that's necessarily commonplace or, or people actually know how to do. So I would say as first is anything that you take on as a homesteading project or something in the kitchen or the garden, et cetera, is to keep track of what it's saving you. And then take that money later on and invest it into a tool that will help get you closer to your goals, et cetera. And you slowly build up. But as as back to as back to doing the skill sets, I really, truly believe that it always starts in the kitchen, because no matter where you live, what your circumstances are, even tiny apartments have some type of a kitchen. I mean, even hotel rooms have usually some type of a little tiny kitchen in them and we all have to eat. Right. So starting in the kitchen and with your food, even if you are buying it from the store, we're still buying groceries from the store. We raise a lot on our own, but there are still things that I purchase at the grocery store or through Azure Standard or other companies. But first is with cooking. Learn how to actually cook from scratch and at home with basic ingredients. So learn how to properly roast different cuts of meat how to fry, how to grill, and especially some of those cuts that aren't considered maybe as ideal or as tender, and usually they're cheaper by the pound if you're buying them, but learn how to tenderize. So learn how to use a slow cooker, or if you have an Instapot or a pressure cooker, to slowly cook those cuts of meat so that they turn out really delicious and tender, like that fall off the bone, juicy, Learn how to do those. And then if you're doing either whole items like a whole bird or a roast or something with a bone in, you know where I'm going with this. Make your own bone broth at home. Learn how to reuse and repurpose or stretch the items that you're already using as far as possible. I feel like that is the number one first skill set as a homesteader is constantly looking for ways that you can reuse and repurpose or stretch it farther, like get double duty out of it. In fact, the video that I just, if you follow me on YouTube and saw my newest YouTube video at the time of this recording, 
you saw where I did stop throwing away your cherry pits. Yes, your cherry pits could actually be used to create another food item. And then it was fabulous because people in the comment section of that video said, well, after you have done that, which I will tell you is take your cherry pits and then you infuse them. And no, you don't have to worry about cyanide in cherry pits when you're doing this method because you're not cracking, grinding or opening up the cherry pits. So it's completely fine and safe. But you take your cherry pits and you infuse them in vinegar and it makes a delicious cherry flavored vinegar, which is phenomenal on salad dressings or even adding like when you're making homemade barbecue sauce and you are adding in you know, vinegar to a barbecue sauce or a glaze and it's this cherry infused apple cider vinegar. Oh, you guys, it's delicious. So that's a way to take those cherry pits and create another food item. And then you're going to dry those out, the cherry pits out. And people said they are fabulous to put inside homemade hot packs. Like, so instead of rice, you can put them inside and warm them up and they make great neck wraps and homemade hot packs. So see, there's even another use for those cherry puts. We found two <laughs> beyond what typically people are just going to, to throw them out. So that's, that's the most important thing that I can stress is just figuring out how to stretch everything as far as possible. Now with the basics of our cooking, learning how to do your basic baking. So how to make cookies, how to do biscuits, cornbread, crackers, tortillas. Those are all quick breads like banana bread or zucchini bread or, you know, those types of things. Muffins. Those are all relatively easy, but cornerstone baking items, making pie crust, because then you can take those bits of meat and that broth and you can turn that easily into a pot pie or a dumpling, like so many different things. And I actually do have a video that talks about basic cooking like that. Like how do you not buy condensed cans of cream soup? You can make homemade versions of that extremely cheap, extremely frugal, frugal, which is a few base ingredients. And literally I have timed it four minutes. Yes, that you can't even go get in your car and turn it on and get out of your driveway in four minutes, but you can make homemade condensed soups that are much healthier with better ingredients in them than anything you can grab from the store. So we'll make sure to link to that in today's um, blog post that accompanies this episode, which you can find at melissacanorris.com forward slash 355, because this is episode number 355, melissacanorris.com forward slash 355. So I say to first master those basic cooking skills and to get really good because if you are making those items like from scratch and at home with just you really only need a few basic ingredients to make all of those it just is going to be different ratios and adding a few different things in you are going to have a vast versatility of things to pull from in order to make your meals and then the money that is saved by doing that rather than buying these pre-made things or going out to eat or you know whatever that may be you're going to be able to put those savings, hopefully you're saving that and keeping track of that in order to make your next investment. Now, after we've mastered your basic cooking and then basic baking, then I would say move on to the next step. Hey, friends, today's podcast episode is sponsored by American Blossom Linens. I don't know about you, but my sheets are something that if you think about it, we're actually spending a lot of time on. Hopefully you're getting close to eight hours of sleep a night and every night. 
And so our sheets and our bedding and getting a good night's sleep is extremely important. And I am one of those picky people. If my sheets are not feeling just right, I will wake up in the middle of the night and it'll be that one thing that drives me crazy and I'm not able to get back to sleep. (laughs) So I also have really struggled to find sheets that I think are soft and are durable. And durability is really the key thing for me because I have had sheets where I really haven't had them that long. And I usually line dry, almost always line dry our sheets, except in the dead of winter, if I don't have enough space in a rack big enough around the fireplace in order to dry them. You go to grab the sheet and pull it so it's nice and tight, especially on the bottom, and it rips. And I'd like to think that I'm strong, but I am not that strong. And these are sheet sets that I've only had maybe a year or a year and a half. And I'm not crazy about polyester or even really a lot of the different microfiber sheets that have all this different stuff. And I'm like, I just want a good sheet set. So I was thrilled when American Blossom Linens contacted me and sent me a set of their sheets. Their sheets are made with 100% American organic cotton. And they're also made in America. So not only are their beddings extremely sustainable, but they don't have any chemical-free softness. So no, no formaldehyde, amen. They are pure and I don't have to worry about them being shipped over 8,000 miles on a cargo ship from India or China with all of the fuel that's involved, the time, etc. I really like products that are made in America and are made really well. The family has been manufacturing them in the USA for over 115 years in middle Georgia despite the fact that most of their competitors have moved all of their production overseas. Now, what I really like is, so when you first get them, they come packaged really nice in a box and they're they're all wrapped up and I wash them right out of the gate. So when I first got them out of the box, I'm like, well, I don't, the, the, the heaviness of the fabric is great. Like you can tell that they're not so thin that they're just going to rip you know, within less than a year and just by just trying to tug them into place so that they're nice and tight on your mattress. They also are really generously sized to fit today's luxurious beds. So they have those deeper pockets. So you don't have to worry about not being able to actually get them underneath the edge of the mattress so that that bottom fitted sheet like stays in place. So I put them in, went ahead and gave them a wash, dried them on the line and then put them on the bed. And oh my goodness, I really am enjoying them. And I'm also a little excited to see. I already feel like they feel soft, but I can't wait to see with each washing how much softer it gets. And they're woven to last a lifetime. If you want to go and check out these sheets for yourself, go to American Linen Blossoms and use Pioneering Today 20. Yes, coupon code Pioneering Today 20, all one word for 20% off your order. So I started with the sheets, but I got to tell you, I am looking to add the towels to my collection very, very soon. Okay, so after you have mastered the baking, then I would suggest moving into things like yeast spreads, where there's kneading involved or stretch and folding and rising, where I feel like they can be a little bit more complicated, not hard, But it's a little bit more if you've never made things from scratch before 
to be working with yeast and getting a good rise on the bread, no sunken loaf tops, etc. So that's why I say kind of master those beginner skills first and then move into them. And then begin to dive into, which I hope you do, the world of fresh ground flour and or sourdough baking, using a sourdough starter as your leavening agent and for other things. So I feel like I'm kind of laying out a path and you can pick where you're at. Maybe you already are making a lot of things from scratch where you're like, oh, fresh ground flour. I have n- I've never dealt with grinding my own flour or using that or doing sourdough. So there's there's lots of places for you to come in no matter where your skill set level is at. And then I would say in the kitchen after you've really gotten those and sometimes this is even you may already be doing that, but then looking at the ingredients that you're using to make those items. I shared with my health journey the swaps that we made. So we'll make sure and link to that in today's show notes as well. But it might just be swapping out instead of using things like Crisco uh, shortening or canola oil or vegetable oil, instead using things like coconut oil or lard or hallelujah, real butter, real grass-fed butter or avocado oil, that type of thing. Maybe it's grapeseed oil instead of the vegetable canola oil type items. And then is other really I feel like a lot of this is things that you would maybe have learned in school back in the day. But unfortunately, a lot of these programs are not even offered in school anymore. And again, if you didn't have family members or grow up in a house where people were doing this stuff, you didn't have an opportunity to watch it or to have anybody teach you. So basic building and or repair skills. So knowing how to do some basic cuts with a skill saw. Just things like that. So if you do get livestock down the road, if you need to build a chicken coop or you need to build a pin or some type of small shelter or just a roof, and it could be as simple. It doesn't even have to be uh, like a a true pitched with uh, like trusses, but it could just be where you have one, you know, the front end is higher than the other and it's just a slope that's going back. But learning how to do those types of skills with just very basic cuts, Uh, not saying you have to become like a full on builder or anything like that, but getting comfortable with some hand tools, knowing how to do basic cuts, knowing how to do some basic um, angles, you know, putting posts in the ground, building fence, like those hanging a gate, hanging a door, you know, really, which if you know how to do all these things and you grew up in a house, I know this sounds very rudimentary, but Not everybody did. So if you can start to learn some of those skill sets now, they will always serve you down the road, being, as I said, putting in barns and sheds or milk parlors or even house repairs, doing some of your own house repairs instead of having to necessarily hire those out. But if you know of somebody, say, who is doing some building or who is working on a project, and even though you might not need that skill set right now, if you can go over and help them and get some hands on instruction and learning, or you might decide you want to do something small, you know, around the house to get started on. And maybe you're watching some YouTube videos or something like that. But gathering those skill sets now so that you have them when you need them later will always serve you well. Now, we talked about cooking, baking, figuring out ways to take things you're, you're making and to reuse and repurpose and stretch them further. But also in with our clothes. I am always amazed. I grew up, my mom did sew our clothes because back in the day, it was cheaper. It was cheaper to buy fabric and whatever notions you had 
and sew your own clothes than it was to go buy them pre-made at the store. Now, in this day and age, that's not always the case anymore, like zippers and buttons and notions. And we do have cheaper clothing available, though I'm not sure that's always a good thing. But learning even how to do basic mending. So how to hem if something's too long, learning how to hem that up. Um, If something gets ripped, how to do a simple mend, Um, how to take something in at the waist or at the straps if it's too long. Just how do you shorten that, you know, just at the shoulders? How do you bring that up? Just those types of basic things. How to sew on a button, how to sew a straight seam. Like you can hem and make some really easy curtains if you know how to do just a straight seam. And there's so many times where I have seen you know, friends, acquaintances, whatever, where it would be a really easy, I've even offered to do it. I'm like, I will mend that for you. Don't throw it away. Like it's a perfectly good piece of whatever clothing. It just has a tiny tear in it. It, And you could patch it and or sew it, hem it, whatever, where it may be like, and nobody would ever see, like it would look a hundred percent brand new again. But so many people don't, they don't know how to do that. It's not something that they know how to do. So I think, you know, even beginning on that, just practicing and learning some basic sewing skills will also take you a really long way. And you never know when those skills are going to come in and be really handy. And while this isn't a direct tactical hands-on skill set, I truly believe that this is the biggest asset and the biggest skill set if you master it that will serve you no matter what you do in life, especially with homesteading, but anything. And that is the one is perseverance, but two is the ability to look at a situation. And instead of being like, I can't do X, Y, Z, I don't have the money to do. I don't have the land to do. I don't have the time to do whatever excuse. And it may be a valid excuse. I'm, I'm not invalidating some of those things. I've been in those positions. However, if you think like that, that you cannot do it, Because of X, Y, Z, you will not do it. 100%, you will not do it. You will excuse yourself out of doing it. And so instead, you may not be able to buy a herd of cattle right now. You might not be able to go out and buy acreage. However, if you look at what can I do with where I am at right now? What things do I have? What are some ways that I can do this? You might not even have space for a garden, but you know what? There may be, you, maybe you live in the inner city. Maybe you live somewhere and there's some strip of grass somewhere in a city park. Ask about turning it into a community garden. There's been a lot of places that have done that and provide places for people to be able to come and have a garden. Maybe it's somebody you know who does have the yard space. They're not using it to grow anything and they would let you grow something there. I don't know what the situation is, but I guarantee if you begin to look at what is a way that I can get this done, you will figure out a way to do it. You will find a way. It might not look exactly like you thought it would, but your brain will immediately, if you just make the switch instead of saying, I can't, and using excuses to say, I can't do this, but you just start to think any way that you can in a way to get it done. And maybe it's smaller scale than what you wanted to. I guarantee that you will be able to figure out and find ways if you tell yourself, I can, how do I make this work with where I'm at right now? Your brain will begin to figure out and map out ways to make it happen. But if you don't ever get to that point and you just say, well, I can't do this or it's too hard, this is too expensive, whatever, then you're absolutely right. That's exactly where you'll stay. And I know I have heard this advice given to me in the past. Like I've, I've heard other people say, this is not a brand new concept I came up with, but I've heard this in the past. And I remember at the time thinking like, yeah, right. But I have to say, 
that it is 100% true. And it has come up in many different instances for me. Some of it has been in in business as I step into being a small business owner and entrepreneurship around this homesteading with the property that we just purchased. You know, even within time, just trying to find time to do all the different things that we want to do. If I say I have absolutely no time, I cannot do this, that will be true. But if I'm like, no, I really have to do this. I want to do this. I need to do this. I'll find the time to do it. It might not be, you know, exactly where I would like it to be time wise, but I will figure out a way to get it done if it's something I really want. So I think that that is a mindset shift that you have to have if you want to persevere and be someone who builds skill sets and goes down the road to be a homesteader. Which brings me to our verse of the week. I find that this one is very fitting and it's Romans chapter five, verse three through five. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I think the key thing with that Bible verse is the suffering, thinking that we, not ideal circumstances, right? Things that we're going through, but we find our way past that and we persevere. That perseverance builds the character. And then once we have that character, then we have hope, not only in a spiritual walk, but also in a very relevant application in living this homestead life. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to see this series continue, let me know. I would love to know if this is something you'd like to see us dive into further and kind of go from, you know, very, very beginning and then take it to the next phase and the next phase and the next phase. So if you would like to see that, let me know by either commenting or leaving a review and letting me know in that review on whatever app you may be listening to this podcast episode. I will be back here with you next week. Blessings in mason jars for now, my friends. Thank you.